This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Nona Never podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bromley, and joining me this week is regular panellist James Bird and a rare cameo appearance from producer Adam Howarth. Now, we start this week's podcast with an apology for our failure to issue a podcast last week. Sadly, our very own Kevin has been taken poorly and is in hospital at the moment, and he um, wasn't able to edit. So, unfortunately, we did record you a podcast with some reaction to the Leeds and Huddersfield games, but uh, sadly, um, we weren't able to get that out. Uh, More importantly, though, Kevin, we send you all our best wishes from everybody at Known and Ever, and I'm sure all of our listeners will agree as well that we want to see you back fighting fit as soon as possible and get yourselves back because we miss you but we do have a podcast this week to record so let's get on with this week's show and we are starting with an absolutely fantastic win away at Everton the Clarets now unbeaten away from home this season a stark contrast to our away form last season and we have picked up um, a ridiculous number of points away from home Now, I'm going to start this week with asking our panellists for a very short summary of that. You'll notice, um, listeners, those of you who follow our, uh, certainly our Twitter page, that we usually ask you for a three-word match report at the end of each week. So rather than giving the pressure on you guys to do that, I'm going to put the pressure back on our panel this week. And I'm going to ask both James and Adam to give me strictly their three-word match report of the Everton win. James. I always hate these concise sort of things, so I'm going to go for very simply, really good win. Excellent. I like it. Adam? Uh, strong jaw evident. Oh, <laughs> excellent. Well, it was, I mean, it was a fantastic win, and I, I think most of us felt that we were going to get something from the Everton game, but I don't think any of us actually expected a win. Um, Adam, I'm going to start with you this week, um, and it's a question that we... Sorry, it's a topic we looked at both last week and this week, actually, and that is the team selection. Slight surprise in both of the um, announcements for both the Huddersfield and the Everton games in that Goodmanson was dropped, uh, which uh, surprised some people but not surprised others. Um, And instead, he put Arfield in in his place and played Brady on one wing and Arfield on the other and actually swapping Brady and Arfield left to right interchangeably, certainly in the first half. Um, Adam, I guess a couple of things on this point. First and foremost, are we happy with this change? Are we feeling comfortable with Arfield being back on the wing as opposed to that comfortable central midfield role he's been carving himself out this season. And secondly, why do you think Goodmanson's been dropped in the first place? Yeah, I wasn't convinced when I first saw the news. Um, 
our field seemed to flourish in that midfield role. Um, and I questioned when, when I first saw the news on Twitter um, before the Huddersfield game, I, I questioned why it needed to change. Um, and after Huddersfield, I still wasn't convinced because, I mean, uh, I sort of, I don't envy anyone that had to um, sit through that game from all the reports and all the, the so-called highlights. Uh, nothing happened at all. Um, but after the Everton uh, game, I, I was proved wrong. Our field was, was key to the goal. Uh, I, <laughs> funnily, I did tweet um, several moments before the goal that our field's passing was not very good. And then he proceeded to do a great pass um, to, to sort of make that goal. Um, and, and yeah, it seemed to work. And I think the reason... Um, the reason uh, Goodmanson was was uh, dropped was basically because Dice doesn't like um, a player losing out because he's been injured. Um, it's all about trying to get um, Hendrick back in the team and also Arfield because Arfield had, from what I, I understand, done done much better um, than uh, Goodmanson uh, in 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 the role that he was in. Um, so yeah, I I think um, that. That is the explanation. Um, just on on Brady, I thought Brady was actually largely anonymous during the game, but I don't. Th- I've said on previous podcasts when I've been on, uh, I don't think that's a real, real issue. Um, yeah, you, you have a player in a, like um, Robbie Brady in your team, uh, basically for those special moments, for those free kicks, for for just the like the wonder goals, if you if you will, um, and they don't happen every game. So I think it's okay. He's going to be anonymous sometimes. Um, so, but yeah, as a whole, I think the team selection really worked against Everton. I think. Daish's plan, um, I, th- I think maybe against Everton, the, the plan was executed as he, he wanted to um, to have it executed, um, unlike uh, Huddersfield, uh, where evidently it didn't go to plan. Yeah, it's a really interesting point, is that on, on Brady, actually. I think one of the things that I've thought in previous, I guess, analysis of, of the game... Deitch loves a team full of grafters and we all know that. But I, I don't think you can be successful and um, really push on as a team if you have a team full of 11 grafters. And I think you can allow yourself the luxury of one or two, like you say, Adam, luxury players that don't necessarily have to, to graft and can be a little bit anonymous, but just come with those moments of glory. And I put I very much put DeFore in that bracket as well. Um, James, let's move on to you. I think the massive talking point of the game is obviously that goal. Now, Previously to this game, Burnley had, perhaps unfairly, perhaps justifiably, been labelled the long ball specialist. And, and quite a few managers have come to, to turf more and, and, and in media sports have said, oh, we know how Burnley are going to play, they're going to hoof it up front. But the goal that we scored um, on Sunday at Everton consisted of 24 passes in the build-up and all but two players touched the ball. In fact, it was every single outfield player apart from Ben Mee um, touched that ball. It was absolutely fantastic ball. So just looking at, at that particular goal, I mean, first issue, do you think it's actually fair to have labelled as long ball to start off with? But regardless of that, just talk us through the creativity of that goal. There were some sublime passes. I think Brady Ward and Arfield especially were absolutely fantastic. Then the step over from Hendrick. Just talk us through it. Talk us what you thought of that goal. I'm not sure I can remember all 24 passes to, to talk us through each one. <laughs> we did um, tweet it out if people want a reference. But on the issue of are we unfairly labelled as a, a long ball side, I think we are. And I think it's mainly down to ignorance of um, other managers, other teams, maybe not um, you know, watching as much of us as some other teams. Because I think it, it's more accurate to say that we're a side who mix it up. We'll do a bit of everything. Um, maybe 
direct is a better way to put it than long ball. Um, you know, we're happy to play it on the deck as the goal showed, but at the same time, when the time's right, we're willing to, you know, lump it up to the big man and, and see if he can hold the ball up. And, you know, with the players we've got, I think we've got that versatility. And sometimes other managers will come and they'll see that we've got, you know, a big like Sam Volks or Chris Wood up front. And they'll just make that assumption, oh, you know, they've got a big target man. They just lump it to him. That's what their game is. Um, but obviously the goal just shows it's different. And similar in a way to that goal that Barnes scored against Wigan to, to seal promotion um, a couple of seasons ago. Uh, it's just a really well-worked um, move. And obviously this one's a little bit longer than that one was. It's more patient. You know, the, the ball's across the defence, which are sometimes the type of passes that frustrate fans, you know, when maybe not at that stage in a game, but there's been times at the turf where maybe late in the game with passing like that and, you know, you get a few fans who are a little bit, while we're going sideways, not forwards. Um sort of mentality but it shows what you can do if you set yourself up and I think obviously switching the focus a lot for the defending side um, really helps to open up the gaps and you see the way we played it through and you know I think um, Opta it might have been had a a little infographic that showed each number uh, so one circle per touch um, and dotted lines indicated runs and I think there was maybe 15 metres worth of dotted lines in the whole sequence, showing that really it was very much pass and move rather than anyone carrying the ball. Um, and I think that's key. You know, a lot of the time, you, you know, I remember when I was a kid, when you're playing football, you're always told to, you know, pass and move. And it's taking football back to basics and it shows it works because in the end, um, you know, there's that great ball from Arfield to find Ward. And it's quite a, an easy finish, really, for Hendrick. I think if he'd missed it, people would have maybe rightly been giving quite a bit of stick on social media for, you know, missing a, a glorious opportunity because it really was so well worked that he, he couldn't really miss it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I think just you've got it spot on there. It just was just an incredible, incredible goal. And hopefully now, you know, now people have started to realise that we can mix it up a little bit. We'll start to um, to, to shift some of these silly tags that Burnley have got. And James, you're completely right. You, you hit the nail on the head at the beginning of that sentence, you know, it's laziness and it's it's an ignorance from managers because a lot of people didn't really expect and maybe still don't expect Burnley to be around uh, for the long haul. So they've not really bothered wasting the time in getting to know the squad, the team. And, and that's good for us because a lot of, of, of teams have come unstuck with that. Um, Adam, moving on to, I guess, individual performances. And it, it's not often that you get a player that, that shines in a Burnley side. Deitch is very much puts together a, a team that, that all plays consistently. And it's very rare that you can single one player out. But James Tarkovsky, again, was absolutely fantastic. He pulled in another man of the match performance. That's the second time on Sky this season that he has been uh, been given that award. And, and you know, when we were watching Match of the Day 2 on Sunday night, they singled him out again for the second time in a couple of weeks for some particular praise. I mean... For me, Sunday was his best performance in a Burnley shirt. But do you think he deserves all the praise he's getting here, or, or is it maybe getting a little bit running away with ourselves with Tarkovsky? I, I think he personally he deserves all the praise he's getting. Absolutely, he, he's really shone shone um, this season. Uh, everyone was a bit skeptical at first. I, I remember some of the discussion um, on on Twitter and, and such like in in the early weeks of the season. Well, oh, is he is he going to be a liability? He's taking too much time on the ball 
um, and how wrong everyone has been improving. I think uh, I was I was confident that he'd, he'd fill Keane's shoes, but I, I was sort of doubting myself at the beginning of the season. Um, but absolutely, Sean. But I have to say, he does get the credit because we do defend as a team, and and because he he gets some of the more dramatic. He, he gets. Uh, I just remember the the game on Sky the other week where he. he um, he cleared the ball as he was running towards the goal line. Um, that was just really impressive. Um, and and it, it, they're, they're the sort of things that's, uh, that shine in, in highlights packages and, and things like that. So maybe there is a bit of... Um, he's fortunate to be part of such a well, um, well-drilled team in, in terms of defence. But he, he's one of our, if not our best player um, this season for me. Um, but... The other thing that I, I always think we happened last season with Keane is is Ben Mee. He sort of gets forgotten about, even though he didn't touch the ball in the lead up to the goal. So I, th- I think he um, deserves a, a great deal of criticism um, for that because uh, he he saw <laughs> he prevented us getting the the full ten outfield players for the goal. Um, but other than that, <laughs> other than that, he uh, he is uh, he's a he's a rock. He, he's definitely. Um, He's as solid as he's he's ever been. He's he's he stewarded the team quite well um, uh, as the uh, temporary captain um, while Heaton is is injured. Um, so yeah, Ben Mee also deserves credit, but absolutely Tarkovsky um, does does deserve the plaudits. But I thought it was very interesting to see Deitch after the match sort of man manage him quite publicly. Um, he was asked by every interviewer under the sun uh, about Tarkovsky and he was always talking about the squad. He was talking about Ben Mee. He was talking about Kevin Long and he, it really shows how wise a manager um, Sean Dyche is, really. I, th- I think he he's very keen to never let his players get carried away and I think that's what's going to happen. So uh, I have no doubts that we are like we can uh, heap the praise on Tarkovsky without it getting to him. I think Dyche is very good at managing that sort of... Um, that sort of expectation on his players. Yeah, he definitely is, isn't he? Um, I'm really glad you mentioned Ben Mee there, Adam, because Ben Mee, for me, I just think that poor lad, when is somebody going to give Ben Mee the credit that he deserves? You know, he's been the constant in these impressive defensive run that Burnley have had over the last couple of, well, the last three seasons, really. Um, and he's been the one thing, no matter, who, you know, whether it's Keane or Tarkovsky and the, the praise, there is a guy next to him who's making him, you know, you know, it's a centre half pairing, and it's it's really interesting that that I think a lot of it's because Ben Mee's not a fashionable footballer; he's a very sort of straight down the line traditional defender, and I think he's not trendy enough. I don't think for for some for some um, headlines anyway. Um, and again, I think you made a, a really important point there, Adam, on on Deitch. I was really interested after the game on Sunday to see just how much Deitch is playing down a lot of the praise for his Burnley side. I might be speaking way out of turn here and and completely misreading the situation, but I personally feel that Deitch much, much prefers Burnley to be the underdog and to be something that nobody's got any expectations on. It's almost like he feels very uncomfortable when praise is being heaped on them because maybe the expectations are getting a little bit higher and maybe then the pressure gets a little bit more and then or like you say Adam maybe you know 
players' heads start running away with themselves. You know, he was very keen to say that we've not turned into Barcelona overnight. Or, you know, when people questioned how, sorry, when people heaped praise on me and Tarkovsky, he was very much like, oh, yeah, well, well, you know, I know what they do and they're just doing the job. And he's, he's very keen to play it down, isn't he? It's, it's quite an interesting dynamic that I think. The other thing is that it, it absolutely makes business sense to to play down our success from a from every sort of point of view if we're in transfer market we would want to be um sort of a, an underdog we want to we want to get the players i th- i mean it's a, it's a double edged sword really isn't it um we want to be the best team that we can be so we can attract the better players but also in terms of prices maybe we are better off um being seen seen to be the underdog um without without the riches without the the sort of experience uh if you will but on, on a more specific level Tarkovsky he if we're not careful he's going to be the next big thing and teams are going to come in for him if we want to keep him we need to play down his success and make sure that, <laughs> that is the Burnley way isn't it <laughs> I know but like to be honest like it's, it's sure true. it's true it must be true like if if no one knows how good he is, let's keep him a secret. Let's <laughs> let's pretend he's bad so we can we can benefit from his, his skill. Um, we all said that, didn't we? When Tom Heaston was getting called up for oh, England, yeah, that's we were true. all like, "Oh no, stop it!" <laughs> that's true. I guess if uh, that that my mentality there is very much the old way of Burnley being up and down. If we if we want to be a, an established Premier League team, then we will keep hold of players like Tarkovsky we, if we're really pushing on so so maybe I'm I'm wrong there so James that's now was it not yeah we've we've now we've what are we on now 12 points from seven games but a ridiculous amount of those points have come away from home and it's their away forms this season is just absolutely crazy just considering just how poor we were away from home last year the win at Everton now gives us more points away from home just in those early games than we managed for the entire season last season. What's, what's changed, James? Why, why, why is it suddenly clicking? I know it's hard to say, really. I think, um, you know, we've learned from past experiences. Uh, we may be a little bit more savvy away from home. Um, but I think as well, part of it is that that first game of the season, obviously Chelsea sort of... Um, beat themselves in a way by managing to get two men sent off and you know I think that gave us a lot of confidence just going there um, getting the win playing really well against the champions first day of the season I think that confidence can't be underestimated for what it does for you know subsequent games and we've really carried it on from there so yeah I think just taking that confidence from the the first weekend has really carried on and um, you know people have said about our home form maybe not being as good as it was but while we haven't maybe had the success we expected, um, we didn't necessarily start all our previous seasons with good home form that well. Obviously, we got beat by Swansea at home at the beginning of last season, which was a, a disappointing one, especially when you look at where Swansea ended up and how I feel we were probably the better side than them over the course of the season. Um, so I think, really, you should be quite happy with the form as it is. We look good at home. The one game we lost... Uh, Arguably, we didn't deserve to lose with a better side, um, and we're picking up points away. You know, huge teams. All the teams that we we played were in like the top seven, I think, last season, um, away from home, and we've we've managed to take points. And um, if you look at what we did away from home last year, where I think it's one point from the first eleven um, to be in the position we are this season from the the first couple of away games, um, you know, it's it's not a day difference, and 
uh, considering the the mentality among some fans at the beginning of the season. I mean, obviously not everyone, but there were some people who were, you know, obviously bitterly disappointed we didn't replace Keane and bitterly disappointed that we sold great at the stage we did. Um, I think, you know, they'll be looking back now feeling quite happy uh, from, from where they felt that day to where they are now. And, you know, there's no reason that we can't be looking towards the mid-table this season. Um, obviously, I think the form we've got so far is unsustainable, particularly away from home. You know, we're going to go to some big teams that I think are looking incredible this season. So City United uh, are going to be the real challengers because both of those teams look like they're going to be fighting for the for the league all the way. Um, but if we can get points at, you know, the likes of Liverpool and Spurs and obviously win at Chelsea, uh, there's no reason we shouldn't be looking at 9th, 10th, 11th in the table rather than, you know, 16th, 17th. Yeah, well, that that really brings me very nicely on to, to the final point I was going to mention on this game. Um, obviously, you've mentioned there, James, that, that you think we can finish. Sort of, we should be looking at, at sort of tenth to thirteenth rather than than relegation. I mean, it's twelve points from seven games. It's an absolutely incredible start. And what I'm trying to get my head around at the moment is whether or not we're actually outperforming, or whether this is just how good this team is now. And I'm not really sure where we sit in this league in, in this season in terms of expectations. I flit some weeks from th- like after the Huddersfield game. I went back. I was bitterly disappointed after that game, and I went back to worrying that we would be bottom six again and we'd be scrapping um, and all of these points we were getting were bonus points but then you go away from home and get a fantastic win against Everton and you suddenly feel that we can do it again um, you know you mentioned there James that you, there's no reason why we shouldn't be looking at those those upper places is that what you genuinely expect do you think that we are that kind of tape that kind of team that can finish say 13th as opposed to relegation or is it just a dream well just to, just to take the one you've mentioned there 13th um, last season, 13th place, went to Stoke on uh, 44 points. Um, and obviously, over a 38-game season, that's 1.15 points per game. Um, at the moment, and obviously this is com- completely unsustainable, uh, we're running at 1.71 uh, points per game, um, which would be good for... Oh, very, very high up in the league. Um it would have been good last season for, for seven. <laughs> Excellent analysis, James. Because <laughs> uh, last season seventh was Everton on sixty-one, uh, so that gives you an idea of just how well we are performing. Because obviously the, the top six last season was Chelsea, Spurs, City, Liverpool, Arsenal, and United, who are all, I think you'd arguably say, in a different league to the the rest of the league. They almost make up that that elite tier. Um, with like your Everton next, obviously we're on the doorstep last year, and a lot of people, being included, thought they might be dark horses for a top five, top four spot this season. But obviously they've tailed off. But if you look at last season's table, the gap between Everton and Southampton was huge. Um, Everton were on sixty-one points, and uh, Southampton were on forty-six. So, you know, looking at how we're doing at the moment, um, I think forty-six, even for us, would be a you know phenomenal co- uh, total. And that's 1.21 points per game. Um, so, you know, if we can keep going, picking up results away from home and, you know, picking up results at home and maybe not winning every game, but certainly being difficult to beat and still picking up points, I think we could be looking at, you know, 9th, 10th, 11th. It, it's not really that out of reach. The, the league is so tight. Um, from 8th uh, to, to 17th last season, there was only six points in it. Um, you know, so that's just one or two results uh, either way is is the 
the difference maker. Um, and I think you could probably pick out for us last season two or three games that maybe we felt we should have won or should have gone a different way. You know, the two games against Arsenal uh, should have had different outcomes. Um, you could probably easily find seven points that were robbed of last season that would have been good enough for eighth. So if you think about the way we set off this season, I think we have had a better rub of the green uh, a little than we did at times. Um, there's no reason to say we, we shouldn't be right in the middle of the table. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Adam, what do you think? Where, where do you, where do you think we sit? And I'm I'm talking here about not where you hope to be, but where you reasonably think we will be. I think we can reasonably expect mid-table now. Like having seen the the last couple of performances, barring Huddersfield, um, there is there's no way that that sort of form is a, is a fluke. I think it's worked so well that it's not just been like a really gutsy one-off performance. It's it's now consistently proven to be a, a thing that we do. Um, and the system seems to be working. We've evolved gradually. And, and I think it, it really stands in good stead to, to be a mid-table side in the next season. Um, I think on just on the away form, um, I think on the away form, the the point that I always uh, I, I sort of remind myself of is the performances actually weren't that far off last season we only needed to gradually um, sort of improve we needed to be more clinical and take our chances and then stop being sloppy that that was the main thing and then the confidence will follow so I, I think I, I was trying to explain at work today like how we've sort of transformed ourselves into this team that from this team that couldn't win away for, for Toffee last season um, into this team that's picking up three points at, at Goodison Park and getting draws at, at Chelsea, uh, draws at uh, Liverpool and, and wins at Chelsea. Um, and I think that it comes down to that. that we, we weren't actually that far off. We, you sort of sensed it was coming. And, and I think we all sort of got ourselves into a rut last season of just accepting that it wasn't coming until Crystal Palace when, of course, it did happen. Um, but I, I think we've just gradually moved on enough um, and that gradual like progression has meant that now we can do it. We can we can absolutely go go to these places and get points. Um, and I think if we can manage to translate that into our home form and and pick up three points rather than than one point um, against seasons like we like we were doing last season, if we can get, find that balance between home and away form, then there is absolutely no question for me that we can be mid table um, and and even higher. Um, just the last thing I'll say on sort of this kind of thing. I know I sort of went into a, a bit of like points per game. Um, what I would say is that while at the moment we're at 1.71, obviously that's probably unrealistic for us to, to maintain. And um, anyone who's studied maths previously obviously know of regression toward the mean um, in statistics, which says that over time you'd expect these sort of things to move back towards uh, what is considered normal. Um and in our previous season, so not including this season at all, but our sort of entire Premier League history, we've uh, only managed 0.9 points per game. Um, so obviously, oh, really? while gosh, so while there's obviously a, you know gradual improvement, um, so that, that doesn't include this season though. Um, it's just the three uh, full seasons. Uh, so while that is gradually improving, because obviously our first season was uh, a lot worse than last season was. Um, it's obviously not going to suddenly jump from being 0.9 to 1.7, um, you know, especially not when we've not made major changes to the, yeah. the side. Yeah, but to see us maybe go to like a, a 1.2 or 1.1 sort of area, that's obviously 
quite an achievable um, yeah. change considering last season we Where were just, put us, roughly? just over one. Uh, where would 1.2 put us? Yeah, roughly. 1.2 would be good for 45 points. So again, that uh, which, could be around the, the 30. Yeah, last last season, that was good for, yeah. well, West Brom and West Ham were both on 45 points. Yeah. Um, and we had a better goal difference last season than West Ham. Yeah, so, that's true. We don't concede uh, that many goals, do we? So, God, it's it interesting is... stuff. I thought I thought for a minute there, James, that you'd, you'd caused promise to have months and months of nightmares because you were talking about regression to the mean and 0.9 and hearing the voice the faith was slowly slipping away just from that one one sentence we started this podcast with so much promise what i would say all this really highlights though as well is how tough a league the premier league is to pick up points yeah Um, it really is you know even teams last year that were eighth that you'd consider you know pretty high up the table um that was only 1.2 points per game. Uh, so that's basically drawing almost every game and a couple of mm, wins. Yeah. Um, you know, the golfing class in this league really is, you know, mind-blowing. Chelsea won 30 games last season. Um, eighth, won 12. So that shows you just how God, many games the, the big teams win compared to the teams like us. And, you know, we won 11. Um Really, the only reason we, yeah, and the only reason we finished where we did is that some games we lost that Southampton drew, yeah. um, and actually that says a lot for maybe you know home form getting a nil-nil draw against Huddersfield, for example. It may not be the most exciting game to watch, but the value of that point over a drop point mm-hmm. is quite big, um, and we saw it towards the end of last season. Those last couple of games where when we were safe, we maybe didn't play to the best of our ability and we lost games that maybe we should have drawn. Um, those points would have been good for a couple of places and it really is that tight at the bottom. So um, I, I just think it's really interesting when you look at those sort of numbers and you see where we are in comparison to the big boys. But I think the rest of the league, even though we may not spend the money they do, it's still very, very tight. Yeah, it really is. I think as well for me, the margin of relegation now is completely different. We had um, quite a few seasons where we, and I've talked about this before, where we had a load of sides who were just churning out and just scraping by survival every year. You know, your Villas, your Sunderlands, those kind of teams, Newcastles at the time, who were just managing to scrape through through survival. Um, and as a, as a result, you know, teams were staying up with 35, 36, 37 points. I think that time has passed now and I think we're back to the days where you need 40 points to survive. So, James, you're right. You know, even though we can be as disappointed as we were about the Huddersfield performance, that that point is incredibly vital at the end. Um, so let's move away from direct analysis of the Huddersfield game. Sorry, not the Huddersfield game, the Everton game. My mind is still on the lost podcast of last week. Um, we just need to move on to this week's talking point, And it actually does amalgamate both of these games. It's a discussion on diving bans. We've had two contrasting weekends over the past two weeks in the Premier League. The major talking point from the Huddersfield game was Lepara's dive in the box in an attempt to win his team a penalty. It was a blatant cheat and it was punished at the time with a yellow card. Now, David Wagner was quite um, accepting of that and didn't make a big fuss of it, accepted it was a dive. But Sean Dash was absolutely furious and he said at the time, it's unacceptable in my book. I can't abide it. I feel for the referee and I thought he was excellent in the moment, but he should be protected from that. If it's a penalty, they score, we lose, but then he gets banned. How does that work? 
Now, in contrast to that, this week, just one week later away at Everton, Scott Arfield also gets booked for diving. Now, this was a really difficult scenario, I think, for the referee. And I think most people accept that it wasn't a penalty, but it also wasn't a dive either. It certainly wasn't in Lepara's um, category of diving. There was some contact there. Maybe um, people are suggesting that Arfield's quite animated claim for the penalty maybe got him booked as opposed to the actual dive himself. Now, Sean Dyche was very difficult, uh, sorry, was very careful this week to distinguish between going down without any contact whatsoever, which was the Huddersfield example, but going down and trying to win a penalty when there has been some contact, which is obviously what happened with Sean, uh, sorry, with Scott Arfield. So this week's feature talking point, we're going to look at the diving pan and just see where we are this season. Now, Adam, do you want to just talk us very quickly through the new rules so that our listeners can explain just exactly what is going on? Yeah, so uh, players who dive will pay, uh, will face a punishment of two ban, uh, two match bans now, um, and they'll be handed out uh, retrospectively. The um, FA will also be able to rescind a yellow card given to the player who was deemed uh, to have committed a foul if the player was found guilty of diving. So if if their challenge, if a player challenges another player, um, and the other player dives um, and the player committing the challenge um, uh, gets yellow carded that can be rescinded retrospectively Um, the most important part for me really is that the footage uh, will be reviewed every Monday by a three man panel Um, there'll be one ex-match official one ex-manager and one ex-player um, and each panel, panel member will review the footage um, independently of the other members. Um, and then the FA will act um, if there is, quote, clear and overwhelming evidence to suggest a match official has been deceived by an act of simulation. Um, the whole panel needs to agree unanimously um, in the decision uh, and players can be banned uh, for two matches if they're found guilty. I'd say that these new rules are a step in the right direction, but at the same time, they, they just don't do enough. Um, for me, the fact that you can get booked in the game and then not get banned is is the first problem with it. There's no there's no real punishment there. Booking in a game, unless you're the type of player who's likely to get booked again, and you know you run the risk of sending getting sent off. It, it's not really that much of a deterrent. You know, you get five cards and you get a but you pick up a match ban. Um, it's not really you know, gonna stop the sort of players who tend to dive, who tend to be the type of players who don't get bookings. Um so what I'd personally say and what I think is the right way to deal with it is for me, diving should be a red card. Um hands down. Uh it should be a red card, a free match ban. Uh and if you're not caught at the time, uh when the panel review the footage on Monday it should be a free match ban. Again, um it needs to be a real you know, lengthy ban that is a real deterrent and it shouldn't matter whether you're caught by the referee or you're caught after the fact. You're still trying to cheat people in the game. Um, with last week's dive uh, for Van Lepara and obviously this week with Arfield getting booked, I think, see, they're in two different classes and I saw a lot of people saying it was very harsh on Arfield to be booked. But I also sympathise with the referee because it's very difficult when you know that referees are trying to clamp down on this kind of behaviour. It's hard to draw the line. Um, obviously, Van Lepara was a very clear dive. Maybe one of the worst I've ever seen. The, you know, He's nowhere near being touched. Um, he goes down. He's only got one thing on his mind, and that's diving. Uh, Scott Arfield, on the other hand, it's not a dive. It's also not a penalty. He kind of goes down a bit softly. Um, 
it's one of those ones that, you know, he's in an awkward position. He, he goes down too easily, but at the same time, he's not really simulated. And I think what has got him booked there is actually appealing for it. Um, if he'd just, you know, gone down the way he did and got back up and played on, then the referee wouldn't have booked him. But because he actually turned to the referee and appealed, that, that that's what's got him the booking. And I think that's also an interesting point is that players shouldn't really be appealing for decisions, I don't think. I know in the heat at the moment, it's obviously difficult to, to not want to, you know, remonstrate and try and get across the point that you believe you've, you know, been fouled. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if the referee is doing his job and he's not being influenced by anyone, then he's got a better chance of getting more decisions right. Um, so on, while it is harsh to, to see him booked for diving, if it would act as a deterrent to maybe not appeal, uh, I think that could also be a good thing. But I, I, I really do feel sorry for the referees because it is so difficult. You know, when you're trying to clamp down on something, you've got to be seen to to punish every everyone that's wrong. Um so if someone goes down a little softly and it's not really a dive, it's probably the easy way out is to, to book him. Because if it was a dive, you've sent the message. But if it wasn't a booking, in most cases, probably doesn't actually uh, really end up affecting the player. Um, so it's a really difficult one. And I think what is actually key about our players getting booked for simulation is what Daesh said in the press conference last week where he said um, he's not saying his players are whiter than white. But if one of his lads did what Van Lepara did, he'd pull him aside at, you know, the next week and he'd be saying, that's not what we do at this football club. Um, and I think that's key because, you know, sometimes people might, you know, play up to the referee in the, the heat of the moment because they, they're trying to help the team. Um, but if Dyche is going to take him aside after and tell him, you know, that's not what we do at this football club, I don't think you can ask for the manager to do any more than that. Yeah, really good stuff, James. I completely agree with you. It's it's such a difficult situation. Um, I, I, I don't think there's anything that we can add to that. I think you, you've hit the nail on the head there. Um, Adam, is it going to make any difference? I mean, one of the questions that keeps getting asked all the time is whether or not diving is now just so far ingrained into the core of football with it being um, copied at grassroots level. Is it just part and parcel of the game now and, and players will just see these additional punishments as, as just par and par of the game? I mean, there, there are two separate um, elements to this for me. I think the first is like a cultural um, element. Uh, it's got to be ingrained into the, into the culture of football clubs. I, I do believe that um, we don't, as a team, um, allow diving, really. Uh, I don't think um, Deitch would put up with it as... as uh, James just mentioned there, he'd pull pull the player aside. I mean, and then secondly, you're not going to solve these problems with rules when the rules aren't correctly implemented. Every season we get these new rules, new like clamp down on this and that. And how often do you remember them actually consistently implementing those rules throughout the season? In the first game, in the second game, maybe they, they, they really clamp down on it and, and players start to learn. Then, then by the, the fifth and sixth game, um, or, or a little bit further on, it's back to um, how it's always been. It's 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 never gonna um, the situation is never gonna improve um, if these new new rules are, are not um, consistently and aggressively uh, implemented. So you can be as aggressive as you want with the rule book, um, but if the referees don't actually adhere to the rules or or don't implement the rules firmly and and so everyone knows what they are, then this, the the problem is just going to remain. So. 
I'd, I'd like to think that it's not ingrained into the core of football, but it, it has to be at this point. It, like it's gone on for so many years now that it's 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 got to be just part and parcel of the game. You, as, as fans, you don't. I find myself not even noticing some some of the smaller dives anymore. Like that, that's the most depressing part. Is you 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 do get used to it as a fan. You notice the most flagrant dives and whatever, but it's it's other things like crowding of the referee or like. The one that really gets me sometimes is when a player consistently nags a referee. Um, uh, who was it? Uh, Chicharito for West Ham the other uh, other week um, in a game that was on TV was just doing my head. He was just constantly nagging and nagging and being really aggressive. And you really want the referee to just go say, go away, stop, like, stop hassling me, let me do my job, and then we'll all be better off. But it never seems to happen. And the same... Um, We'll probably go um, with diving if there are rule changes. Rule changes. I'm not actually confident that it will change. Yeah, I think that's that's right, Adam. It's uh, it's got to change, like you say, right at the, the bottom. It's just not going to, and actually, it's not going to, it's not going to change until some really high profile players come out and and stop doing it. And like you say, it's you know when when the when you see it so much in the Champions League and when you've got you know Champions League trophies riding on it, and uh, you know it, it's not it's you, you can't. You can't stop kids from from following their idols when they're doing it on such a massive international stage. So let's move away from this week's talking point then. And we um, finished this podcast looking ahead to another international break, uh, the second one, quite early on in this season. And it's a really nice time for all of us to reflect on that excellent start to the season. Um, Just a very quick point in the international break and, and Listeners, this is kind of tongue-in-cheek, so let's not all go into into panic mode here. But a lot of people have (laughs) mentioned over the the weekend that in the international break, it can often be seen as a good time for underperforming managers to be given the boot by their chairman um, and given a good couple of weeks to get somebody else in before we all start back again. Um, Surely Sean Dyche is hitting the headlines for all the right reasons. Adam James, are we worried that we're going to lose him? As early, obviously, we're going to lose him at some point. But are we worried that we could lose him this season? Nah, nah. Um, <laughs> I think, I think he'd be stu- stupid to go anywhere at this point. He's just, from what we're seeing, he's just starting to get the team really performing. The team are playing well. They're playing attractive football. He's getting all the credits for the right reasons. But why would you, why would you jump ship at this point? You've, like, I think managers tend to to jump ship and, and move to other places just as they realise that it's not going to go any further. Um, and it's, and it would just, I mean, I don't want to get back to Owen Coyle, but it would just be the greatest portrayal. I don't think I, I don't think I'd ever watch football again if Sean Dyche left in the middle of, a, of this season. Um, it's just, I, I love the man so much. It's just what he's done for this football club is amazing. Um, and I, yes, I do get frustrated with him uh, every now and then, and usually I'm proved wrong. And as most fans, when they get frustrated with signings or decisions eventually they prove to be um unwise but but consistently for the last however many seasons he's just proven us all wrong he's uh smashed our expectations i think even even when we've had heightened expectations in in the end i think none of us truly expected to be where we are um when when where we are now today uh, when Sean Dyche first uh, first joined so I'd like to think that he's here for a little while longer. Um, and let's get to the end of the season, see where we are. Um, uh, and I think 
Sean Dyche might have the right to move on then, but I don't think uh, he likes he would like to leave um, in in the middle of the season with all the unfinished business he has. I completely agree with practically everything you've said there, Adam. You know, most managers who I think lead clubs tend to do it when they've reached the pinnacle of what they can achieve there without making you know significant changes. Um, but at the moment, I think there's still a long way that Dash can still take the team. Um, and you know, you look at the signings he's made. He's made. You look at how they they're coming along. Uh, there's still, you know, there's the whole of this season really, at least to run to see what he can do with, you know, the side he's put together. And I think to leave at this point, he'd always have that, that little feeling in the back of his mind, like what what could we have achieved? And um, particularly if it works out in a similar way to how Kyle did, where he went. I mean, he, you know, he started off well, but it sort of tailed off and ultimately turned a bit sour and it's turned sour at every club he's been at since. Uh, so I'm sure, and you know, part of Kyle's mind when he thinks of his time at Burnley, he might wonder, you know, what could have been if I'd, if I'd stuck it out for a little bit longer. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting to, uh, to say. I saw this week that uh, our friend Mr Coyle is back at Ross County, isn't he, where he first started? That's come quite nicely full circle for him. Um, I'd, I'd like to speak to you both very, very quickly about um, the West Ham preview. Obviously, we've got an international break now, so we're not going to have time for a full preview. Next up is obviously West Ham at home. Um, expectations on the team, James? Does Hendrick keep his place? Do we stick with our field or do we try something more creative at home? I think it's ridiculous to be talking about taking Hendrick out of the side, isn't it, after mm. I've just <laughs> finished off that move? Um, I know it's difficult because I thought Arfield had a really good game this weekend, but um, against Huddersfield, I thought playing wide just didn't quite work for him. So I'm going to have to take a cough. Uh, and if anything, I thought he was a little bit surprised in that he stayed on the pitch as long as he did against Huddersfield because I, I didn't really feel like it was working. And at the same time, I didn't think it was working for Hendrick. I thought he was probably the worst player on the pitch against Huddersfield. Uh, and then the week after, he's gone and you know scored what's ultimately been the game winner. And I think that shows what football's like, really. It can be a completely crazy game where one week... Um, you know, someone doesn't look like they're up to the, you know, the, the standard, and the next week, you know, they look like a world beater, um, and it's quite interesting. I, I, it's a difficult one because I really liked what I've seen from Arfield this season, sort of in that number ten role, and I think he's been a lot better there than he has been out wide. Uh, but then, you know, this weekend he's he's shown that maybe he still can perform out wide in the Premier League. So it's one of those ones. It's a bit difficult. I think Goodmanson's not particularly shown uh, a huge amount yet this season he's not been bad but he's not been he's not been particularly good either he's kind of just been so so sort of ticking over um and I think really we need to be looking for for more than that this season we want players to you know pull something a bit special out and I think the same goes for Brady as well we've seen flashes of brilliance but um I don't think we've had that one you know big breakout game from him yet but at the same time, I get the feeling it's coming. I get the feeling it's coming from, you know, several other players. But um, I think as long as we've got Cork and DeFore as that base of the midfield, um, whoever we pick uh, has got every chance of having a good game because the way those two have played, it's just really sort of set the whole team up, I think. And, um, you know, we've got a great engine room at the moment and uh, the way they can, you know, play the ball, see the ball, the work they do... Um, 
I think they, you know, having that as a base gives us so much option for what to do with the other three midfielders or, you know, two midfielders if we decide to play two up front. Yeah. Adam, what do you think? Do you think we can get back to winning ways at home now? Do you think we can really kickstart our home form to match our away form? I hope so. I think the way we've performed away from home has really now put a spotlight on us. And we, we now, we're now getting to the stage where it would be ridiculous if we didn't complete the, the sort of... Um, sort of the tick boxes really we, we need to that's the the sort of last checkbox we need to fill for people to take us seriously is to start performing at home again um and i think i think we will that's certainly the expectation that i i have i think we should we should start winning at home if we can go to everton and and get, take three points if we can go to liverpool and, and really like grind out the the point then i think we we should be able to do it at home as well we should really start to get those those points on the bo- board now um and yeah, it'd just be be good to sort of take that pressure off. There's a danger, as we saw with the the away form last season, that it starts to get a, a bit of a gripe if you don't pick up a win at home, um, uh, a win away from home or a win at home or, or whatever. Um, so it'd be good to get the the very tiny um, fetus of a monkey off our back, um, and uh, and and yeah, let's get back to winning ways. Excellent. Now, I think that is all we have time for for this week's podcast. Um, I just want to say a very quick thank you before we wrap things up this week and a special mention to Richard Sutcliffe and John Taylor, both of whom emailed us after the Huddersfield game and, and gave us quite a lot of um, input and material for the lost podcast of last week, which unfortunately we, we didn't end up reading out in the end, but I just didn't want them their hard work to have, have gone unthanked. So thank you both of yours for those contributions. Um, turning to this week, Adam, James, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure as usual. Thanks foremost, though, go to the listener to you for downloading and listening to this podcast. We would not be here without you. We'll be back after the international break, hopefully with a young Kevin back fighting fit again. But until then, I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the Non and Ever podcast. Until next time. This time last year. So to lose, you'd think, oh, we'd be fine with it, but we've pretty much drawn the game. Yeah, well, they all add up as well. I mean, we threw points away in the, in the dying seconds against Hull. Now, that was nobody's fault but our own. Um, but then you add another point onto that and suddenly we're justifiably three points further behind where we could have been. We could have been sat here on 10 points now, which is more than we've ever had in any of our Premier League seasons at this stage. And we've only narrowly gone down in terms of points. So it just, it just, it really annoys me that, that decisions like that are not given more importance when Premier League survival and a lot of money is potentially at stake for us. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.